Hi, this is Tim, John, Sam, and Tom, the hosts of the Dungeon Dads podcast, and you're listening to Tale of the Manticore. The following podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to Tale of the Manticore, Season 2. Like the creature from which it takes its name, Tale of the Manticore is a mashup, a crossbreeding between two different species of storytelling. Here, you will find the unpredictability of old-school RPG paper and dice games with the storycraft of a dark fantasy novel. No character is sacred, and no character will be spared if the dice decide their fate is at hand. According to lore, the tale of a manticore is barbed with cruel iron spikes. There will be much pain in the days ahead. Last time on Tale of the Manticore. In Chapter 4, the party leaves the safe house with Phelan Orla in their company. He isn't exactly their prisoner, but neither is he free to go. Yellowfly's plan to camp in the bush off the road is ruined by a storm. This forces the party to instead stay at the Happy Harpy Inn. Next, we learn how Cole ended up joining the Resistance in Nepule. King Colfrey the Terrible has made numerous enemies during his reign, abusing his power and causing injustice after injustice. But it was Cole's brother Krell who, when he turned his back on his modest background, along with his principles and family, caused Cole to become an outlaw. Finally, we learn the fate of the high-ranking church member, Gamaluna. Her lifetime career with the powerful thieves' guild is cut short when her own valet is forced by the rival Weeping Eye guild to assassinate her. Chapter 5 Part 1 Day 2 Afternoon Party Status Yellowfly 8 out of 8 hit points Shawnee, 5 out of 5. Cole, 2 out of 8. Tamlin, 5 out of 5. Yellowfly had hoped that he and the others could relax a little when they arrived at their apartments back in the St. Claren district of Silmoral, but there was a sooty smear on the door handle that he recognized as a signal. The members of the church used a kind of language a combination of slang terms, hand signals, and other markers, such as this one, to denote simple meanings. The message on his door was clear. He was to report to the Lord Rabbit right away. The Lord Rabbit was his boss, a man who, in turn, had many superiors. The church was organized in such a way that no one person knew too much. A typical guild member would know their immediate superior, and, if they had earned some rank, would also know the members directly under their command. Yellowfly had only recently achieved the second rank, so he only knew the Lord Rabbit and his own team. He had recruited them very deliberately. Shawnee and the late Kern were extremely trustworthy, and so they had been the first two members of his team. The other two were new recruits. Cole and Tamlin had only just joined. The swearing-in ceremony the Weeping Eye had wanted to interrupt had been real. According to church rules, Yellowfly was allowed to take on one more, and he had an idea for who that might be but the decision would have to wait. Shawnee sighed behind him when she saw the marker on the door. 
Nicole and Tamlin had no idea why they suddenly found themselves walking away from their apartments and heading down a narrow alley to the next street. Yellowfly would explain later, perhaps. For now, he did not want Phelan to learn any more than necessary. You stay with me. You don't leave my sight, he said to the little man. They all crossed a busy market street, assaulted by a variety of smells and sounds, mostly unpleasant. This was the war and not Hightown, after all. It was noon, and the street was busy with shoppers, prostitutes, mongers, and vagrants. Yellowfly threaded smoothly through the crowd until they reached the other side. He nodded hello to a filthy woman sitting on a barrel and selling broth from a portable hob, and an elderly man who ran a booth selling various bottles, fishing hooks, wooden toys, mismatched kitchenware, and a dozen other odds and ends. Once across the thoroughfare, he slipped into another alley. Actually, it was not even an alley, simply a space between two large buildings. They moved through its single file and came out the other end, in another cramped space. This one was wider, but still claustrophobic, darkened by tall buildings to either side. Yellowfly noticed that Phelan had made no attempt whatsoever to escape or to call attention to himself. This was good. It meant that the things he had told them on the road into town were more likely to be true. To a point, Yellowfly could trust this man, he felt. They came to an intersection where a number of weathered but stout-looking crates provided a place to sit, and, on the ground, little piles of tobacco and ash from emptied pipes indicated that they were often used for just that. Yellowfly left Shawnee, Cole, and Phelan there, instructing them to wait while he went on ahead with Tamlin. A few minutes later, he pointed out the rear of a building to the new recruit. There was no need for Yellowfly to mention it was a bakery. It was clear from the pleasantly yeasty smell all around. Passing him a little coin purse, he told Tamlin to buy lunch for himself and the others, and to wait at the spot until he returned in an hour or two. He reminded him not to say too much to their new friend, but to treat him with respect. Then Yellowfly went off on his own while Tamlin moved eagerly around to the front of the bakery, with his stomach grumbling. A few minutes later, he rejoined Cole, who looked a little better than he had the night before, Shawnee, and Phelan. When the trio saw what was in his hands, they all smiled, even Phelan. God bless you, Tamlin, Cole weakly exclaimed. Always ready with a story or a parable, Tamlin took the opportunity to entertain as he broke apart and distributed the warm, salted loaf that would be their lunch. Have you ever heard of the parable of bread? No? How about you, Shawnee? Master Ola? Well then, let me tell you how it goes. On the day that he turned 11 years of age, Shatun went out upon the streets of Kamones and approached the market. A large crowd had gathered there, for a public display of the king's justice was scheduled for that morning. A thief had been caught stealing from a market vendor on the previous day. Today, he was to have his right hand removed as punishment. The still-growing crowd was excited. Many had arrived early. Anticipation was palpable in the buzz of their conversation. Shatun counted 74 steps until he found himself in the middle of the market at a baker's stall. There were baskets of braided loaves and buns that shone with egg glazing arranged in front of the stall at eye level with the stale breads on the bottom. These were hard and tasted poorly and so mostly sold only as animal feed, but they still had value. Other baskets contained dark breads and sugar breads and other specialties. These were the most expensive, and so the baker kept them close at hand, behind the counter. The baker was a short, thick-limbed man. He had once been a kindly man, 
but years of suffering petty thefts had turned him as hard as his stalest loaves. Now he watched his wares, hawk-like. The baker knew him, so Shatun had to approach from behind. Snatching a loaf from the lowest basket, he immediately broke into a sprint. There was no need to look back to see if he'd been noticed. The reaction was immediate. Thief! Thief! called the baker, and the city guards reacted right away. Four guards gave chase, and poor Shatun was pursued up and down seven streets and seven alleys before they caught up to him. They had him cornered in a single room slum in the worst part of town. Two of the guards went inside while the others waited outside the single door to catch him if he slipped past their colleagues. When the two guards entered, they found the young Shatun in the company of four filthy and emaciated street urchins. Each had a quarter loaf of bread in their hands and were gnawing hungrily on it, even as the guards advanced. Shatun's hands, mouth, and stomach were still empty when they took him into custody, leaving the urchins to their little meal and their squalor. Shatun was brought, clapped in irons, to the magistrate, who decided that a person like Shatun was too dangerous to have on the streets, even if he was rendered one-handed. So he decided that the best course of action would be for the people of Camones to forget he even existed. He sentenced Shatun to eleven years imprisonment, and the boy was dragged off to the king's dungeons. In a lonely cell beneath the streets of the city, Shatun grew into a young man, sitting on the cold, damp stone, looking at the town only through a slit window just below the ceiling. Shatun learned the virtue of patience. He also had his first revelation. Opportunity and wisdom can often be found exactly where you least expect to find them. Dramatis Personae, Tamlin. Two weeks ago. Patience, Tamlin, said Father Luden. Defying a king is a dangerous business, and it requires a slow hand. Tamlin had recently joined a group of rebels bent on defying King Culfrey and was chomping at the bit to see some action. So far, they hadn't done anything, or so it seemed to him. But we can't just sit around and do nothing, protested Tamlin. Oh? The old priest had a web of wrinkles around his eyes that became even more pronounced when he smiled, as he did now. That's exactly what we'll do, young Tamlin. Patience. Did you forget? It's the first revelation of Shartun. I didn't forget. It's just hard to wait around while these injustices take place. It's enough to drive a man mad, father. Then you have not yet learned the lesson, came the reply. Since it was illegal to openly worship the patron saint of thieves under the current monarchy, Father Luden was only known by that title to a select few. To most in Nepal, he was Luden the Brewmaster, a jovial, law-abiding, tax-paying subject and cooperative member of the trade guild. Secretly, he headed a resistance movement that aspired to, one day, free Nepal and possibly even Silmoral from the yoke of the tyrant's reign. Father Luden was about the wisest person Tamlin had ever known, and he respected the man's words more than those of anyone else. So when he took his leave, he really tried to learn from the criticism. Patience. I must have patience. Tamlin repeated this phrase like a mantra as he walked through the streets of Nepal one morning. As he passed by an open square, a pleasant smell of smoked meats took his attention. Looking, he saw that a popular vendor from Silmoral had set up a table and was selling skewers of spiced meats, as well as smoked fish, and, best of all, 
dry cured sausage. This kind of food was cheap and delicious. Best of all, the flavor stayed with you all day. Tamlin was not alone in his fondness for it. There were at least a dozen men and women standing in a crowd, trying to get the vendor's attention. Some of them were even waving handfuls of money in the air. Tamlin had nothing else to do that morning, and besides, it would be a good chance to practice his lesson. He would patiently wait his turn, not push and shove like these other townsfolk were doing. But it didn't take long before something strange happened. He hadn't been waiting more than a minute or two when the previously boisterous crowd suddenly hushed and calmed. Then the reason became apparent. Three men were approaching. One was clearly a nobleman of some kind, judging by his doublet of velvet with its row of silver buttons down the front. The other two wore tabards of green and black cloth bearing the insignia of the king. Two swords crossed in an X behind a round shield featuring the image of a crown in the center. Step aside, peasants, said the nobleman with a false-sounding silmoral accent covering his native Nepulic. They did. The townsfolk who had been so eager to purchase the vendor's wares suddenly lost their appetite and dispersed, receding like the tide. Tamlin himself stayed where he stood, feeling a mounting outrage. He just had time to notice the vendor's attempt to conceal his own emotions before he found the nobleman addressing him. I told you to move, you half-wit saddle goose. Now, be gone! If there was one thing Tamlin could not stand, it was the affectation of the rich. He grit his teeth and, ignoring the nobleman, addressed the vendor, who stared a warning at him that even the most obtuse could have picked up on. Tamlin paid that no mind either. How much for two strips of the dry cure? He asked as though nothing was going on as though nothing terrible were about to happen. The vendor tried to stammer out a response, but although his jaw worked, no sound came out. Suddenly, Tamlin felt himself grabbed by the shoulder, yanked back, and spun about. In a trice, his arms were pinned behind his back, and the nobleman, he saw now that he was tall and slender, with long dark hair and aquiline features, punched him hard in the stomach. Tamlin had never been punched that hard before, and the pain took him by surprise. He buckled and might have fallen, but the two guards, laughing, held him up. <laughs> Did you like that? Whatever bravado or heroics he might have imagined for himself were no longer on the table. Tamlin just wanted to get away, but he couldn't move. Let go of me! He heard the nobleman speak again. You! He punched him. Must! He punched him again. Learn! And again. Some! And again. Respect! And again, and this time, the city guards let him go. Tamlin was barely hanging on to consciousness when, instead of leaving, the nobleman started to kick him. By now, Tamlin could do no more than cover his face as the nobleman's hard leather boot struck him over and over in the ribs, gut, and groin. The edges of his vision grew dark. But just before he passed out completely, he heard a new voice, a voice with a Nepulic accent. Roll for Rainbow is a TTRPG podcast made by and for queer folks who love adventure and can't do basic math. Looking for LGBTQ plus representation and shenanigans among friends? Check us out on Twitter at Roll for Rainbow, or you can listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. You can also visit our website, www.podpage.com slash Roll for Rainbow. Hope to see you soon. What is up, everybody? I'm Alex. I'm Justin. I'm Pete. And we host Comic Book Club, a weekly live talk show and podcast about comic books, 7 p.m., Crowdcast and YouTube, as well as your regular podcast listening places, iTunes, Stitcher, etc. And every week... 
we bring on the absolute best guests from the world of comic wow, book, right? Comic statement. books, TV, film, we cover everything. You can come be part of the magic and um, uh, lightly insult us throughout our recording Tuesdays at 7 or just listen on your own time. Yeah, We also have comedians on there as well. It's a fun time. Yes, thanks. It sounds like you're having fun, Pete. Uh, Pete actually <laughs> is the guy who hosts our trivia, where you can win a $25 gift card to Woo-hoo! Midtown Comics every single week. You can use it in the safety of your own home. Come check us out. We would love to chat with you about comic books. Have a little fun. Talk about some old four-color funnies. Ah, nice. Fresh ref to close it out. Chapter 5. Part 2. Day 2. Afternoon. Party status. The party status is unchanged. His real name was Smallkin, though nobody Yellowfly associated with ever called him that. He was Lord Rabbit, and had been since the church had arranged for him to be the alderman of the St. Claren district of Silmoral. Few people use the name St. Claren, either. To the people that lived there, it was known as the Warren. With so many dark, twisting alleys, with its dirt roads, and, well, just for the sheer number of people hiding there at any given time, the Warren was the only name that really fit. As for all the people who didn't live there, well, they avoided talking about the area altogether. Yellowfly knocked on the alderman's door, using a preset pattern. Four slow knocks, followed by four quick ones. After a time, the door opened and a familiar face greeted him. Yellowfly! It has been a while. Come in, come in. How have you been? It was Glynis, Lord Rabbit's wife. She was a kind-hearted and charming woman who always seemed to have a baby clinging to her bosom, as she did now. (laughs) A new kitten for the fluffle, I see, said Yellowfly, smiling broadly and holding out a finger for the infant to grab. Ooh, quite a grip. Glynis nodded proudly and chit-chatted with him about her newborn and her other children as they passed through the foyer and into the study. Lord Rabbit's estate was not nearly as fancy as those found in other neighborhoods, closer to the Castle Hill, but by the Warren standards, it was impressive. He'll be down in just a few minutes. Yellowfly took a seat on a hard chair of oak and waited for his superior to arrive. Lord Rabbit is, of course, Yellowfly's boss. A few years before, he had briefly led Yellowfly in a gang. The man had, in fact, been the one to swear Yellowfly into the guild several years before. It was Lord Rabbit who gave Yellowfly the mission to attack the safe house in Rull, so of course he'll get a report on its success, but also on the various complications, namely Cole's wounds and the escape of the strange woman. He'll also learn about Phelan Orla and that they have taken him into their custody. There's also the trivial matter of the package having been delivered to Silmer Rotson, the apothecary in Domor. This delivery will not be of much interest to Lord Rabbit since it was completed without incident, but the other pieces of news all carry weight. The question is, is he pleased? I think I'm going to make a separate reaction roll for each of the three bits of news. In BX, you roll 2d6 and add a bonus for charisma, if applicable. Yellowfly has a charisma score of 9, so he gets no bonus. However, if these rolls are high enough, I think Yellowfly and his team will receive some kind of reward for their work. Let's get some dice and see what happens. For the news about Cole, an 11. Wow, that's a very good roll. For the escaped woman, an 8. Okay, that's neither good nor bad. For Phelan Orla, another 11. Lord Rabbit is really pleased with Yellowfly's team. Let's see how this plays out in the narrative.
By Shartoon, you are a high roller. Lord Rabbit was a man in his middle forties. He had a thick brown mustache that clung caterpillar-like to his upper lip. His eyes were brown as well, and shone with a mixture of warmth and good humor. Lord Rabbit was unlucky at dice, but he loved to gamble. Yellowfly was just the opposite. He was perpetually lucky at dice and cards, but he disliked them. Gambling had always seemed a bit stupid to him. Still, socializing often required it, so he knew all of the games and their variations. They were playing their third round of Hazard, and Yellowfly had won them all. Lord Rabbit had pulled up a little gaming table between them, and they had played as Yellowfly gave his report. In addition to the dice, on the table were a stack of silvers Yellowfly had won, the cipher he had taken from the safe house, a steel dirk, and a six-inch statuette of a beautiful woman, which Lord Rabbit occasionally tapped on the head. For luck, he said, winking. Seems the magic is a little reluctant to come out today, observed Yellowfly. Truly, agreed Lord Rabbit. I best quit while I'm behind. He cleared the dice off the table and put them in his pocket as he continued. You did well to take that new recruit to the Harpy. Probably saved his life. And we can't afford to lose any more members. Things are heating up. But more about that in a minute. As for this woman you mentioned with the knife trick, I can't say that the description rings a bell. Nor do I recognize the name, Shrawl. I'll pass it up the ladder and see if anyone knows anything. Now, tell me again the name of this man that they're hiding. Orla, supplied Yellowfly, Phelan Orla. I very much like your idea of keeping him close. If we could turn him, well, a man with skills like those would be a huge asset to the church. Just keep a close eye on him and make him prove his loyalty before you bring him in for good. Lord Rabbit got up with a little groan, massaged his back, and padded over to a shelf where he opened a small chest. He busied himself there for a while and then returned to the table. He put a stack of coins, all gold, beside Yellowfly's winnings from the dice game. A job well done. The younger man nodded his appreciation, gathered them into his hand, and stood up. Now, come with me, said Lord Rabbit. I'll look over your cipher later on. For now... There's some urgent business concerning the eye that cannot wait. Chapter 5 Part 3 Day 2 Late Afternoon Party Status The party status is unchanged. It's substantial. Apparently we missed a lot while we were gone. This is the answer that Yellowfly provided upon his return to the group when Shawnee asked if there was any news. Oh, I didn't get all the details. I can't even be sure how much Lord Rabbit knows. But the Winx took out one of the captains. Killed her right in her own home. Right in her own bed, actually. In a way that sent a very clear message. What message? asked Hamlin. That they can get to whoever they want. That nobody is out of their reach. So we're going to hit them back? Oh yes, and with the vengeance. Lord Rabbit says that the bishop has spared no expense and has uncovered identities of no less than three targets. They're to be taken down. Today. The bishop that Yellowfly referred to was, of course, not an actual bishop, nor were they Moro Genhart, the original founder of the guild, 
who had been in his grave for well over a century. The title bishop was now used to refer to whoever occupied the top position in their organization. Of course, it was necessary to have a title, since only a handful of people actually knew the name of their leader. So, who are we after? asked Shone. Phelan squirmed uncomfortably. He was not used to being a part of a conversation like this. Yellowfly frowned briefly. I asked the same question. The answer is no one. That job will go to someone who occupies a higher level with the guild. Higher level? scoffed Shone. I can stick a blade into someone's flesh as good as anyone else. Peace, Shone. With luck, none of us will see any bloodshed today. We have our orders. To punctuate this point, Yellowfly dropped his backpack into their midst. We'll need to split up to accomplish all we've been asked. Tamlin, you're with me. Shawnee, you take Phelan and get his hands dirty with these. Yellowfly pulled two large flasks out of the pack. He handed them to Phelan, who accepted them with a look of doubt in his eyes. And here's your target. To Shawnee, he handed a roll of parchment. She unfurled it and studied the map inside. An X was drawn over a particular building in the center. Shawnee nodded and put the parchment roll in her pocket. What about me? Cole's voice was still weak. Cole, you're still pale as a phantom and weak as a fool. We can't use you today. No all broke, no argument. You're no good to us dead. You'll spend the day with a friend of mine. When Cole started to protest again, Yellowfly held up his hand. I'm sorry. That's my decision. What about us then? It was Tamlin. What's our job going to be? Well, began Yellowfly. Here's a clue. He produced a gold medallion on a heavy silver chain from his belt pouch and dangled it in front of the other man. Shotun's breath, exclaimed Tamlin. What are we supposed to do with that? <laughs> Here's another hint. He squatted down and opened the backpack the rest of the way. Are those what I think they are? Yellowfly grinned again and nodded. Thank you for listening to Tale of the Manticore. There are now five ways to support the show. You can recommend it online or to friends. You can like or retweet episode announcements on Twitter. You can purchase One Shot in the Dark or pick up Encyclopedia Manticorica on DriveThruRPG. And finally, you can rate or review the show on your podcatcher of choice. My thanks to everyone who has done any of the above. Here's another one of your generous reviews. This one is from Apple Podcasts and was posted by fellow Canadian T. Wiz. T. Wiz writes, This is the only podcast I listen to religiously. I'm always excited when the next episode comes out. The narrator does an amazing job keeping neutral and not steering the PCs away from danger or keeping them from harm, and you can feel the excitement in his voice as epic battles unfold. The episodes are the perfect length to listen to on a walk or a commute to work. Just listen to the first episode of Season 2 and it has already been exciting and has been wanting more. Season 1 was amazing. What an ending. Keep up the fantastic work. It's much appreciated. I'll be listening as the story unfolds. Likewise, T-Wiz, your review is very much appreciated. I'm so glad you're enjoying Season 2. Most of all, I'm thrilled that you can hear my excitement for the game coming through the narrative. It's genuine. The game behind the story really is a nail-biter for me. I never know where it's going to go next. My gratitude also goes to my cast of voice actors. Returning to the show in the role of Father Luden is Chris Hussey of the beautifully produced Gun for Hire podcast. Also returning to the show is Simon J. Williams, the creator of Legend of the Bones, a fantastic solo RPG show with the same hybrid format as this one. There are also two newcomers to the show. Playing Glynis Smallkin, wife to Lord Rabbit, is Debbie Webster. And finally, a voice I'm sure many of you recognized right away, 
playing Lord Rabbit himself is none other than Dirk the Dice of the must-listen podcast, The Grognard Files. Thanks to all of my wonderful actors. Please go and download their podcasts. If you want to get in touch with me, I'm on the usual socials, at Manticore Tale on Twitter or Tale of the Manticore Podcast on Instagram. My email is taleofthemanticore at gmail.com. The story will continue on the next episode of Tale of the Manticore, the story where chaos rolls. Greetings, Wanderer, and welcome back to Lonely TTRPG, the solo actual play and review podcast. I am your host, Steel Stass. Join me every week as I play through a new solo TTRPG for y'all. You can find Lonely TTRPG on your favorite podcasting site, such as Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you prefer to listen. If you're more of a visual learner, just look for The Black Dragon Dungeon Company on YouTube.com. Remember, just because you're playing alone doesn't mean you have to start alone. See you soon, Wanderer.